There, oh, there I am. Oh, I scare myself sometimes. So, um, well, welcome. Let me, uh, let me encourage you. Uh, you need to probably uh, get to know a few people. So why don't you do this? Why don't you take a second and why don't you meet someone close to you? Why don't you tell them what is the favorite movie you've seen lately? Now, I know for some of you, you think, you know, I saw a movie last year. Okay, that's recently for you. But whenever it was, tell them what's your favorite movie you've seen recently and chat with them for a second. We'll be right back. Go. Okay, let me call us back there. Uh, once more. Hey, let me call us back there. All right, there we are. Good, 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 good. Well, hopefully, hopefully you, uh, you uh, were able to convey to some folks uh, your favorite movie. I, I, I would ask for uh, things, but I'd probably be embarrassed with some of the things that uh, uh, you told me, so I won't. But um, I'll tell you what, if you haven't gotten to see a movie, let me tell you a movie. If you haven't gotten to see it, uh, there's a movie called Just Mercy. Anybody got to see Just Mercy so far? Yeah, 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 a few. Not many. Okay, well, you need to go see that. Good night. It's worth the price of admission. So uh, you need to go and see this movie. I was actually glad, uh, the kind of the order of things, I was glad Martin Luther King Day arrived before I went to see the movie because, you know, uh, Dr. King reminded, you know, hate does not push out hate. Only love pushes out hate. So, you know, just to get, you know, angry and hateful, with people, it's not going to work, you know. And then when you go see the movie, you think, I need to remember that because you'll find yourself just thinking somebody needs to take some of those guys out back. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just like it's one of those movies, but it's a really good movie. So uh, I would encourage you go see. I don't normally recommend movies all the time because, you know, I don't, some movies I think, yeah, but uh, this one's a good one. So I'd go see it based on a true story, not about me. So uh, it's, it's good. So I would go see it. My name is Neil. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'd like to. So we'll chat about that another time. But um, we're, we started a series last week on a life of worship and beginning to look at what worship is and, and what that's all about. That's what we kind of looked at last week. Um, we saw that worship is a response, first of all, and that every single one of us, it's a response all of us have. All of us worship something. But true worshipers put the supreme worth of God on display. That's what they do. I mean, what they're worried about is that when they worship, they want people to have a clear understanding of this is who God is and this is what he's like. And so worship is, we learned last week, uh, a definition of worship. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and for what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So let's run through that together one time because I want that to lock into your mind so that when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, you think, what is worship? You go, worship is. <laughs> and so we're going to do that. So just repeat after me. Worship is our response to God, both personal and corporate, for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say. And the way we live. That's what worship's all about. It's a response. It's our response to God for who he is and for what he's done. And so Paul picks up in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul picks up on that and helps us to see 
that worship is really about a whole life lived in response to the person and work of God. It, it's a life that really reflects God. In fact, what Paul calls it, he says, it's like a living sacrifice. Everywhere you walk around, people see a life that is surrendered to God. They see a life that's really dedicated to him. So tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to take a little bit of time and look and see how that practically works its way out in our purpose in life, in what we're doing with our life, what we're giving our life to. Uh, At some point in your life, if you haven't reached it yet, some of you did when you were like two or three, others, you know, uh, probably not for a while yet, but you're going to come to a point where you're going to begin to ask, you know, what am I doing with my life? What, What am I centering my life around? Sometimes it's when you have Okim. Uh, you're thinking, what am I doing with my life? Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's at different stages, but you begin to ask that question and you begin to wonder, what is, it I'm, what, if, what is it I'm really doing with myself? What is really the purpose here? What's really important? Now, everybody has a purpose. Just like everybody worships, everybody has a purpose. Everybody has something that they center their life around. Now, they may not have decided that on purpose, but I guarantee you people are centering their life around something with a purpose. And so when you begin to look at that, what you want to make sure is that the purpose you're centering your life around, it really matters. I mean, you know, you want the fact that you lived to have made a difference. I don't ever see anyone that says, man, I hope no one remembers me. You know, I just hope I just kind of pass through life and everyone just doesn't even care. No one, no one thinks that way. In fact, one of the most haunting verses for me is a verse found in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 21.20, it says this. It's talking about one of the kings that reigned, and he, he wasn't a good king. And so this is what it says about him. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years. And here's the part. And he died to no one's regret. How would you like that on your tombstone? You know, he died to no one's regret. You're kind of going, wow, good. Not even mom's, no, not even mom. No one's regret. No one's regret. So you want to live with purpose, you know, and there's several things your purpose ought to be. You know, your purpose ought to be lasting. It ought to be something that's going to outlive you. It it ought to be something that's going to have some real meaning to it, Um, it needs to be something that's going to be, you know, it's going to transcend time. It's going to be something that, that long after you're gone, your purpose is, is still there. It needs to be something big like that. Now, purpose can be a tricky thing. Um, part of the reason is because so often we've, we've been so conformed to the way the world thinks that if we're not careful, we'll begin to take our cues from the world and what they think is important. Can you imagine with me for a minute, if you just took your cues from the world, what are some of the important things over your lifetime that you thought at one point, that's important? In fact, you gave time to it. In fact, you really thought, this is something. What what are some of the important things that you've seen? Finances. Finances, okay. Followers on social media, that's the, that's, boy, that's going to be lasting through at least this week. <laughs> yeah. Being cool. Being cool? Yeah. Gaining hmm? 
there you go, getting into a good college. Yeah, that'll last somewhere between uh, four and nine years, you know, so uh, yeah, that last, uh, I mean, you begin to look back and you, you start looking at culture over the last 20 years. I mean, I'll tell you one that, you know, I remember hearing a guy one time that uh, I was watching this and all of a sudden you're, you're seeing this train station and, and I thought, oh, there's something going on at the train station. All these people are walking through and then they stop. What do you think happened? No. Flash mob. And all these people broke into dance and you're like, what the heck is this thing about? People are like, this is so cool. And you would see people, oh, I need to give my time to that. I need to go be a part of one of those. Oh, my gosh. And you're like, yeah, that'll, that'll transcend you. Um, <laughs> flash mobs. High school musicals. Oh, yeah. Those are huge. Crocs. Yeah. That'll last forever. That's important. I mean, you look at some of the things that people were giving time to, and we look at them now and we think, that was so stupid. I mean, thank God we've outgrown that. Um, you know, now we give ourselves to important things like selfies and hashtags and, uh, you know, reality TV. Um, but what you'll begin to see is a lot of things we give bandwidth to today, one of these days we're going to look back on that and we're going to go, passing fad. That's all it was. Thank God I didn't give my time to that. Well, I mean, what, what a total waste of time. So how do you keep from doing that? How do you keep from giving your life to things that ultimately aren't important? You know, uh, what I would suggest to you, the short answer is this. Look to the one who created life and look to the one who created you for what he says your purpose ought to be and for what he says is really worth giving your life to. Begin to look to those things. Because I guarantee what you're going to find is this. Everything else that you give your life to. I mean, sometimes right now you may be looking at something and you may be like, this is so important. And you'll look back several years from now and you'll think, huh, it what? So give your life to something that's really going to make a difference, to something that's really important. Now, if you do, one of the things you'll find is um, there's not a lot of uh, traffic on that street. You know, I mean, you're not having to worry about traffic jams with people that are all giving their lives to purposeful things. What you find is, actually, that's not a road that people travel down a lot of times. In fact, we all really appreciate when we find someone who kind of, you know, doesn't listen to all of the little sirens that pull us this way and that, but instead lives a life of purpose and comes out on the other side and everybody goes, wow, that guy was purposeful. I mean, good night. I'd like to tell you about a guy like that tonight. This is a guy, he didn't live right now, but he was your age. He was a college student at one point. And so this is a guy named William Borden. William Borden, uh, if you've never heard of him, uh, some of you have, you know, some of you know him, even if you don't know that you know him. He was an heir to the multi-million dollar Borden dairy business and uh, was, the guy grew up in immense wealth. He, uh, when he was a young kid, his mom had begun to go to church, and his mom became a follower of Jesus. And she began to take William with her to church. And over a period of time, shortly thereafter, he ended up coming to faith. And he began to be a follower of Jesus. And then when you begin to look, after he went to school and he went to high school, he graduated, and his parents sent him on a trip around the world 
just like yours did, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, sent him on a trip around the world. And he was traveling, and as he was traveling through all of these different countries, he came to Asia and he came to parts of the Middle East, and as he began to travel through there, he saw firsthand all of these people that just seemed so hopeless and all of these people who had no one to tell them about purpose in life and had no one to tell them about, you know, what life could be like, had no one to tell them about who Jesus was and what he was, could do in their life, none of that. And he decided at that point, he said, you know, I think I'm going to be a missionary. And he wrote home and told his family about that. And at that same time, he wrote in his Bible uh, the date, and he wrote in there because he decided, you know, instead of taking over the family business, instead of just, you know, living with millions and doing this, I'm going to leave, and I am going to go share with people who've never heard about this. And so he walked away, and he wrote in his Bible, in the back of his Bible, two words, no reserves, no reserves. He takes off. He goes to school that fall at Yale University. When he showed up on the campus, he was just trying to blend in, you know, just trying to be just a regular freshman guy, just hanging out and stuff. But one of the things they noticed right off was, you know, he's not just like a regular guy. And it wasn't because of his money or anything. It was something totally different. One of the guys wrote this about him. He said, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ and had really done it. We, who were his classmates, learned to lean on him and to find in him a strength that was solid as rock, just because of this settled purpose and concentration. What you found with Borden, Borden graduated from Yale, and then he decided he needed to do some more training, so he went to Princeton Seminary back in the day when Princeton Seminary was, you know, a good seminary. He went there, and after graduation, he joined with this group and came under the auspices of this group called the China Inland Mission, which uh, Hudson Taylor, this other guy that you'll need to read about someday, had really put together. So while he was stateside and he was preparing to go join them, he found out about um, this group called the, the Kansu people. It was this group in China, about 10 million strong, who had absolutely no understanding of the gospel, no understanding of who Jesus was. And he thought, you know what? I, I am going to do that. And so he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats, no retreats. So he takes off, and because this was a Muslim group, he, he knew he needed to learn some things in Arabic to be able to speak to them. So one of the first things he did was he went to Egypt. And he went to Egypt to be able to learn the language, and then the hopes were to sail on to China uh, shortly thereafter and, and to join the team and begin to meet with these people and share with them. But while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis, and 19 days later was dead at 25. Never went to China. You look at him, and you look at him, you think, what in the world? My gosh. Is, is he the example? Yeah, I mean, you look at him. His mom comes to retrieve his body, and when she comes to retrieve it, she um, picks up his Bible that she finds there, and she looks, and she found that shortly after he'd contracted this disease, and they had talked to him about, you know, it doesn't look good for you, and you're probably not going to make it. He wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No regrets. No regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. A life of purpose. And what I think you find with Borden is this was a guy that got it. He got purpose. 
And you think, well, wait a minute. He never got to China. No, no. See, that was his mission. That was what he was going to do. Purpose is bigger than mission. A lot of times I used to get those confused. And I think your purpose and your mission, what you're about, you know, those are kind of the same thing. No, they're not. Purpose transcends mission. Mission is, you know, kind of the big goal in your life and what you're going to be doing. Purpose is bigger. Purpose is bigger than any vocation you're, you're going to have. Purpose never goes away. You can accomplish a mission, but purpose never goes away. Purpose lasts. Purpose, when even if you fulfill your mission, you still have a reason to live. There's still things to do. Why? Because you have purpose. Purpose is that big. When you discover your purpose, you know, you'll begin to discover some other things. You discover your purpose, you begin to discover courage. You'll be able to face opposition. You'll face opposition sometimes from family. You'll face opposition from friends. You may face opposition from, you know, colleagues. But when you understand your purpose, it's like, I can do that. I can do that. You know, you'll not only do that, but when you discover your purpose, you'll begin to discover your passion in life. You'll begin to look at, you'll begin to see things like you'll think, man, that is what I'm going to pursue. I'm going to really go after that. And even though I may face some times where I'm really worn out, I'm really weary, again and again and again, what will call me back is my passion. It'll call me back. It's my purpose in life, what I'm doing. When you discover your purpose, you'll discover perseverance. You'll find out that despite obstacles, despite anything else that comes up in your life, you find a way to keep pressing on. So what was Borden's purpose? What's your purpose and mine? That's where things get tricky sometimes because we tend to kind of have a hard time figuring out purpose. And one of the main reasons we do, we tend to start with ourselves. We tend to think about what is my purpose? What are my dreams? What are my goals? What are my ambitions? That's a good question. That's a good second question, maybe. You know, it's not a, not a good first question. What you find is that um, when, you, when you start there, you always get confused. There's always a sense of kind of aimlessness about your life. You know, you try this and you'll try that and you, you look to this and you look to that. In fact, Thoreau of Walden Pond wrote this. He said, most men live lives of quiet desperation. They do. You look at many people's lives today, and what you find is this. I mean, they'll have all this stuff going on on the outside, but inside, it's just kind of like, uh, it's dying. Now, if you look with most of those people and you talk to them, they'll think something like this. You know what? I think I know the problem. I chose a wrong purpose. I just decided, I should have decided on a different purpose. But you know what he figured out that we need to figure out? Purpose is not something you decide. It's something you discover. Purpose is something you go and you begin to discover it, and you don't discover it apart from a relationship with God. In a relationship with God, suddenly purpose begins to become clear, and you begin to see some things. So what you discover is this. God's purpose for us, for each one of us, is the same. Now, his mission for each one of us is different. So, he, I mean, he doesn't have, you know, like, you know, sometimes people get those confused and think, God wants every one of us doing the same thing. No, no, he doesn't want, like, everyone being a doctor, everyone being a plumber, whatever. No, no. 
What would you do? I mean, it's not enough room for doctors and plumbers. I mean, you know, you have many, many things he wants you to do. That's your mission. What he's wanting, though, is purpose involves three things. Purpose is threefold. And God's threefold purpose, as you look at Scripture, is this. One, he wants you to know him, he wants you to love him, and he wants you to glorify him. He wants you to know him, he wants you to love him, and he wants you to glorify him. So I'd like just to look at each one of those three in the rest of our time. He wants you, he wants you to know him. In John 17, 3, Jesus says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Meeting Jesus is not the same thing as knowing him in a meaningful way. Not the same thing. I mean, have you ever done this? I mean, like sometimes, I'll, you know, I'll talk to somebody and I'll ask them a question about someone. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know them. And I think, really? Like if some of you right now, I said, hey, who here, like, knows LeBron James? And you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I do. Yeah, plays for the Lakers, uh, used to play for uh, Cleveland, then he played for Miami, and then he played for Cleveland. And, oh, yeah, you know, came from Ohio. Uh, he grew up here. His son, Bronny, plays, you know, sports over here, and he does this. And, you know, I mean, he is like nine points away from passing Kobe for number three on the time list, and you're this, and you can give me all these like, whoa, wow. You really know him. Yeah, yeah. When did you hang out with him? Hang out with him? Yeah. When did you hang out with him? Well, I mean, I mean, we don't hang out that much. Like, when? Never. Never. No, that's not too often. No, it's not. No, no never. So you know about him. Yeah. But you don't know him. Well, I guess it depends on how you define that. Yeah, I guess it does. You know what I mean? See, you don't want to make that same mistake with God. You don't want to know about him. You want to know him. You want to really get to know him. One of the things when you do that, Paul, who'd been a believer at this time like 25 years, what you'll find is this is something that goes on and on getting to know him because God is so big and we're not. When Paul's writing to the Philippians, he says this. In Philippians 3.10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Paul says, I mean, it wasn't that Paul didn't know Christ, that he didn't have a relationship with him, but he said, there is so much more to get to know. You want to really get to know God. That's one of his real purposes for your life, to get to know him. Now, how do you do that? Well, it starts off, honestly, with two words. If you remember two words as you're thinking about how you get to know him, think receiving, pursuing, receiving, pursuing. You know, receiving, receiving is the very first thing you want to do. If you want to get to know him, you have to receive him. Now, that word receive, it, it means to take and make it your own, to take him and, and allow him to become part and parcel of who you are. In John 1.12, John says this, as many, speaking of, of the folks right there, he said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So you have to receive. You think, well, how do you do that? How do you like receive? Well, that's real simple. You know, ABC. You admit to God, hey, God, you know what? 
I recognize who I am. I recognize I am a sinner. This is, well, I mean, if it's not evident, all I need to do is ask my mom. Uh, you know, I am a sinner. You know, I've got that. B, you believe that he came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead. And so you believe that. And C, you commit your life to him. You decide, I'm going to choose to make that the thing I center my life around. I'm going to choose to follow him. I'm going to choose to really walk with him. So that's what you do to receive him. And then you need to pursue him. You need to pursue getting to know him the rest of your life. In Jeremiah, God is speaking to this people that's been carried away into captivity from Israel. And he says this, Then you will call upon me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So one of the things we want to do is we want to be receiving and we want to be pursuing our whole lives, pursuing after God. That's something that you need to prioritize the rest of your life. Secondly, he wants you to love him. When Jesus was asked by a man one time, they said, hey, what is the, the, the number one thing God wants us to do? And Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you begin to do that? How do you begin to love him? What you'll find is that several of these things are very intertwined. One of the very first ways you begin to love him, get to know him. Now, I don't know about you, but I used, when, when I was about your age, I remember these people would come around sometimes and we would be in a group or something. They would be praying and somebody would pray and they'd say, you know, God, I really love you or God, we really love you. And I would think, yeah, okay. And they'd be like, what? I guess. You know, and I mean, I, 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 I remember, I thought, I don't know that I can actually say that. I mean, I'm appreciative. I think he's a nice guy. Um, you know, but I thought, I, I don't know that I'd really be being honest if I said, God, I love you. I thought, I'm for you. Uh, you know, um, Good job, God. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I just, that's kind of where I was. And, and I thought, wow, this is really weird. I'm probably like, you know, on a short list for hell if, uh, if this keeps up that I don't even love God. I thought, what the heck? And what I began to find is this. You know what? There's very few people that you love that you don't get to know. But when you get to know him, then you're like, wow, he is someone I really want to be around. He's someone I really love. Why? Because you begin to discover who he is and what he's like. So get to know him. That's the first thing. The second thing, trust him. Trust him. In fact, if you were trying to figure out, you know, a simple way to figure out how do you really love him, you could sum that up in two words as well. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. You trust him. You begin to look. And, you know, when Paul's describing what love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always trust, always hopes, always perseveres. If you haven't faced him yet, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to go through some things and you're going to think, huh, how life is turning out and how I thought about it are a little bit different. 
you know, kind of not quite what I thought. Or you'll see something Jesus says and you'll think, now, Jesus said this, but my friends think this. Where do I give weight to there? Or what am I really going to trust? That's a great question. Great question. Now, our daughter, um, we have one daughter, three sons. Daughter's first, three boys. Um, which turned out well, really well because she was like a second mother. She would tell the boys, you need to do this. And they would say to her, you're not my mother. She would say, now. And they would say, yes. And they would go because they fear her. Um, but she had this idea, you know, she kind of had in her mind, you know, that life for her was going to be kind of like um, life for her mom who got married right out of college and kind of this, you know, life went on this way and she married this wonderful man. And, uh, you know, uh, stuff like, or at least she hoped. Uh, but, you know, she was kind of thinking that was how life was going to be for her. And then she got out of college and broke up with a guy that uh, she was dating. So she thought, well, okay, it's going to be delayed a little bit. And then uh, she watched her oldest uh, younger brother get married and thought, well, that's, that's, that's cool. Uh, uh, she was excited. And she's, you know, I remember talking with her. She said, oh, I, I, I love Kristen. Uh, and so I thought, okay, cool. And so, you know, I began to watch her. And, you know, and then about three years later, she watched her middle brother get married. And she was like, that's, that's good. Uh, I really like Katie. I uh, love Katie. Yeah, so that's good. And so I was like, cool. And uh, about three years after that, she watched her youngest brother get married. And I remember her going, yeah, Alyssa's a good gal. <laughs> and so I said, why don't we go for a walk? And she goes, yeah. And so we, we take off, and we kind of go for a walk. And I said, so how, how are you doing with all this? And she said, fine. And I thought, yeah, yeah. How are you doing really? She said, you know, this is kind of hard sometimes. And I said, yeah, I'll bet so. I said, you know, Jen, you got to kind of figure out what are you going to trust in times like this? She goes, what do you mean? I said, you know, there's one thing worse than loneliness. That's regret. So I think what I do is I, I lean in to God and I would trust him because the plans he has for you, I know they're not exactly the way you had plans for you. But you know what? They're good plans. She's like, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Well, if you look to her about uh, two years later, she ended up marrying this guy, and they have three wonderful kids now, and they're just doing great. And she is just tickled spitless most of the time. I mean, you know, when you see her, she's just having a fun time. And so content that, boy, I'm glad I chose to trust him instead of trusting somebody else or trusting myself or trusting someone else. If you're going to get to the point where, you know, you, you really love God, one thing you have to do, begin to trust him. Begin to know, okay, it may not be going exactly the way I think, but you know what? Trust him. The second thing is obey. Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he will be loved by my father, and I will love them, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to him. 
Sometimes we have the idea, you know, God, if you'll just show me more of yourself, then I'll really obey you. And God says, no, I'll tell you what, it actually works just the opposite. If you'll really obey me, I'll show you more of myself. And the more he does that, the more you get to really love him because you really see what he's like. You know, the last thing God wants, he wants us to glorify him. To glorify him, what that really means is we take the spotlight and we put it on him. To reveal him more clearly. Now, our problem most of the time is, see, God has designed us that our lives are to be like little lights, little spotlights that shine on him and call the focus to him. We keep trying to figure out how to take that light and turn it around and put the focus on us. It was never intended to do that. Our lives were always meant to put the focus on him. And so whenever you begin to live life trying to get it focused about you, it just doesn't make sense. The way you begin to glorify him, put the focus on him. Paul tells the Corinthians this. He says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do. Now, that's pretty encompassing. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, what Paul's talking to them about is it's a life of worship. I mean, even in the things, you know, in all areas, in the way you drink, in the way you eat, in whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. So how do you begin to get started in that? Well, one of the very first things, do what you're designed to do. I mean, God has wired you. He has designed you for some things. You know, we've got some guys that worked on um, the rocket team here, and and they're over there in the engineering school, and they're building this rocket, and they're designing it, and they're trying to figure out how it's going to go higher and faster and all this different stuff like that. And what you find is this. When the rocket does what they designed it to do, their team gets a lot of glory. Everybody's like, oh, man, you guys are amazing. Well, if the rocket went up and kind of went, you know, people don't go, you're amazing. They go, good night, you're pathetic. I mean, do you not understand this competition? You know I mean? Why? Well, because the, the thing that's created isn't doing what it was created to do. When we do what God designed us to do, people look and they go, Wow. He is amazing. Look at all the things he did. Look at how he designed them. Look at what he's accomplishing there. So one of the very first things you do, begin to do what you're designed to. Lastly, remember it is about all of life. Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Jesus glorified God completely. He not only did exactly the things God had designed him to do, but he was constantly turning the spotlight on him and allowing people to see him better. A life of worship is about a response. About a response. And a life of worship is a life that is lived on purpose for God. So as you begin to think about your purpose, realize, you know, God's purpose for you, he wants you to know him and love him and glorify him. Now, in the midst of that, he has a mission for you. He has things he wants you to accomplish. And some of you are going to go into this field, that field, 14 other fields. But 
accomplishing great things in that field will never be your purpose. Your purpose is found in him. And your purpose is found in really knowing and loving and glorifying him. Let me pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team back up to uh, turn our focus back on him. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're really clear in your word what you have for us. And thank you that it's so true. Your word provides meaning and purpose and direction for our lives. You, you help us to, to see that, God, if uh, we had our minds set on, um, on some vocation and then we couldn't do it, we would think we'd lost our purpose. But no, no, no. Our lives are, have meaning every day we're alive because we're created for you. So, Father, help us to live that out. Help us to be like William Borden. Help us to pursue that with a passion. Help us to know you and love you and glorify you with all of our life. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.